G'day guys and welcome back to another episode of The Montana Project. This week, episode 16, we got to sit down with a good friend of ours, Damien Ryder. He's a multiple world record holding adventure and extreme sports athlete. Um, he's an author, he's a creator of One Breath Meditation, he's um, a motivational speaker as well, been on some TED Talks. And uh, yeah, just an all-round great bloke, um, so we're stoked to sit down, have a bit of dinner and uh, chat with him so i hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did because it was a cracker yeah welcome to the montana project mate <laughs> yeah nice <laughs> it's good to see you again yeah you too man yeah yeah we had it had a quick feed um and just listening to some some good bachelorette stories <laughs> <laughs> horror yeah. stories yeah no nah, it was leading up to this episode i was always like looking through the notes and thinking of what i wanted to address first because there's just so many like epic stories that um, i got to hear from you in person and um i think maybe somewhere to start would probably be the um, national geographic doco and just as to why you did, did that and then maybe just touch on the past and that sort of thing as well. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had a good chat when we were, uh, we had a bit of time when we were pulling that, those tires yeah, along yeah. down the beach. Yeah. So it was cool. Uh, thanks to Corey for, for setting all that up. But yeah, my film, you know, I was lucky uh, to have my first film that I ever produced get picked up by National Geographic called Heart of the Sea. And uh, it was about my paddle from... Coolangatta down at Rainbow Bay to uh, Bondi. It was like 17 days in the water, 21 shark encounters, sleeping on the beach some nights if I didn't reach my destination and a lot sort of going on. And it was funny, like when uh, when we first like sort of thought of making it with like a couple of other guys, I was like, yeah, I'll just have a GoPro and we can do some little filming at the end. And we kind of put like a bit of a teaser together and put it down to, uh, to Nat Geo at Fox and they're like, yeah, come down. You know, let's have a chat about it. I'm like, yeah, cool. And we're thinking in our, in our head, oh, we've probably got enough content to make like a 20-minute film, 25-minute film or something like that. And we get down there and executive producer, Jerry, he's just like, you know, I started to watch his film, your teaser, and I was like, oh, it's another endurance guy. And then halfway through, I went, oh, my God, like, look at his backstory. No, no, no. Like, he's like, it's incredible. Yeah, we, you know, we want this we want this film like have you got a feature film of it and we didn't and we just like looked at each other looked back at him and went yeah yeah we've got one and we're like yeah he's like oh great okay like you know put something together and we went yeah no worries we'll, we'll do that and we got in the elevator and went how the fuck are we gonna <laughs> what are we gonna do yeah i said mate we're just gonna have to tell the whole story so we just retraced you know like where i stopped along the way on the paddle and then kept going down to to adelaide where you know my childhood sort of trauma happened and um, well, lucky enough my brother he wanted to speak as well and that kind of changed the whole dynamic of the film you know it's like less about me and you know more about you know that what happens to some kids you know and what we're a part of and how it's affected both of us and how both of us have sort of dealt with it in a little bit different ways also so you know but the good good part about it is if I hadn't made that film and my brother hadn't have been on it, then we probably may not have known like how much I admire him and how proud of 
I am to him, you know? Mm. And um, so it was good. Like, that's how, I, how the whole, whole dynamic changed. But, the you know, it's something I'm super proud of, of that film. It went out to 40 different countries. You know, over 40 million people have watched that film. And, you know, on the first week that it aired, I got maybe 10,000 messages. And I think every week I'll probably still get 50 messages from someone around the world who's who's watched the film and how it's impacted their life, you know. And for me, that's kind of priceless, you know. I'm about, you know, I don't care about how many just followers I have on social media. It's about how much I can impact the most amount of people, you know. For me, if I'm impacting 40 million people around the world in a positive way that are sitting there and not just flicking through and, and liking just for a quick second, but sitting there for an hour to, you know, watch my story that's relatable to them and helps them, well, you know, that's, for me, that's a bigger goal. You know? mm, mm. No, it's epic. Like there's so many stages that I wanted to break down a bit. Like why was it the paddle and why Cooley to Bondi was it? Well, it actually... Like I was, I was in Melbourne at the, uh, for a while and I had a couple of suicide attempts when I was down there. And on the last one, I was just like, shit, I've got to get out of here. I've got to make some real changes in my life. And um, so I thought, you know, where was I the most happiest and freest? And, and, you know, where was I the most peace? And that was back in the ocean. So I came back up to the Gold Coast and just started surfing again and paddling around again and paddled out, you know, grabbed a clubby board from uh, Rainbow Bay Surf Club and paddled out about two kilometers out to sea and kind of, Felt very vulnerable sitting out there. I'd never been out there that far, just on a little board, you know, on my own before. And but I could feel that there was like definitely something in it, you know. And we all know that that the ocean's healing and everything, but no one's really explained why. So I really wanted just to dive into that as well and really question what what it actually is, and you know, and really face my demons as well in such a vulnerable way on my own. Also, so, you know, and that was kind of part of it. I just, you know, I'd listened to so many people over the years, like different gurus and therapists and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, of how I should be doing things and ex-girlfriends and everything, how I should be living my life, what sort of job I should have and everything. You know, if you need to heal, this is what you should do. And, you know, I come to the conclusion that everything you're saying is bullshit because it doesn't work and I'm trying it all, you know. Um, so I was like, well, I'll just put it back onto myself and, you know, I'll just go back to what I know and that's, you know, I'm a natural athlete and I love to train and love to push the boundaries and, you know, so I really just thought, okay, I'm just going to break myself all the way back down to my raw foundations and just rebuild myself the strongest possible version as I could and I was going to use this but I needed a goal, not just paddling around in the ocean. So I went home after that first day and, and looked up world records of paddleboarding and there was this one that was done in, in the US and it was a 24-hour paddle and I thought, all right, well, I can... I'll probably do that then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll train for that and I'll do this 24 hour paddle. And I was going to go from like out of Morton Island, about 40 Ks offshore of Morton Island on the Eastern Australian current, come down and hook around Cook Island at Fingal and come back in the cool and gather. And it's going to be 185 kilometers. Yeah. So I would have paddled all the way through the night. So I got a boat sponsor and everything and organize it went out with a mate in a boat and went okay this is where we're gonna you're gonna drop me off and uh this where i'll start my 24-hour paddle and then like four days before i was supposed to do it the boat sponsor pulled out for some reason oh, no and i was like oh shit what am i gonna do and so i called my mate who lives in sydney and i was and i was telling him he goes what are you gonna do like you've just trained up for eight months like you're ready to go what are you gonna do and i stopped for a second i just went I'm just going to paddle to you, mate. <laughs> and he goes, how are you going to do that? Like, how long is it going to take? And I said, I don't know, about 20 days maybe. 
goes, you can't even go to boat for 24 hours. How are you going to get one for 20 days? I said, mate, I've got a board. I've got arms. I'm just going to put it in the water and start paddling. I said, that's all I need. And then that was it. And he goes, all right, I'll see you when you get here. I said, sweet. So then <laughs> I waited two weeks. So just after New Year's and then January 3rd, I walked down to my local beach and which Rainbow Bay and put it in the water and started paddling. Got about five minutes into it and went, well, what the fuck am I doing? You're an idiot. And there was like big storms coming and everything. And I was like, oh God, like, and I'd only, like during training consecutively, I'd only paddled like 40 kilometers. Mm. And my first leg was to Byron and that was 68 kilometers. So I didn't even know if I was going to make the first leg or not. It's, so did you do that by yourself? There's no support? Nah, yeah, yeah. it's just by myself. So no support on it, land or in the water. That's so wild. Like, obviously just the physical feat self's crazy but then to like put in where you're going to be stopping you're going to have to take food and water with you like what did you actually do did you put like obviously had the food and stuff on board yeah so i could only carry a certain amount and, and i hadn't really worked it out because i didn't really paddle with it with it fully loaded as well but when i started paddling now i had two liters at the front two liters back and just like camel packs and made these little like holders for it and some food and stuff and but what I did, I, I sort of mud mapped out where I thought I was going to reach each day. Yeah. I thought, okay, the first two days, I'm probably going to put in good effort. And then the third day, I might be a bit tired. So I'll do less. And this surf club's not going to be, you know, the only one I can get to is a long way. So I'll have to go to that one. So I just started contacting them and just went, hey, look, I'm going to send next day's rations. And I'm going to paddle to you and I'll pick up, the, I'll sleep at your surf club and I'll pick up my rations and I'll start paddling the next day. So that's kind of, how I thought it would go, but because I hadn't paddled with it and I was facing all these big seas and everything, like I come out of Byron and like coming around the headland, it was just like pumping on the outer <laughs> reef and I'd like got spilled and I came, came through to in a broken head and got rolled and pitched and I lost absolutely everything. Yeah. And then the paddle distance from Byron to Evan's Head I was going to on that day was a lot longer than like I'd sort of measured it out for. And uh, it got dark. It was about six thirty, and I was like, a couple of sharks starting to pop around, and so I had to just go in. I was about twenty k short of Evan's head, and had to just go in and just dig a hole and sleep on the beach and <laughs> wake up in the morning. So because I'd lost all my food, I hadn't had any food or water for twenty four hours, and then just yeah, just had to get up and just start paddling to Evans, and then got a feed and refilled my board, and then just kept on paddling on that day. Mm. And then that's where all the shit happened after that. Yeah. The, the shark encounters. Did you have a bad one? Yeah, I had a lot. So straight, straight away coming out of Evans. Yeah, there's a big one that hangs out there. Like I was in this kind of washing machine coming out of like the, the mouth, the river mouth part. And now this like huge dorsal fin just come past me. And I don't know, it must have been at least 15 foot, you know, like the shark and everything. I was just like, holy shit. And that was sort of my first encounter. And I pulled out my little knife and I had like this knife. <laughs> I mean, that's a fucking doing nothing. Yeah. I was, but I was sort of like have this argument with myself should I go for the knife or should I go for the GoPro should I film the attack or should I try and stop the attack you know so I was like shit yeah. and then coming around like in a nine mile beach like heading towards Yamba and that um, yeah I mean it was just it was big big seas and everything and I got circled a couple of times and then I got pitched on these big waves and I was stuck under my board like it just wrapped up underneath me and I was just dragged underwater for about 300 metres and nearly drowned and unraveled myself with like leg rope that was caught on it and then paddled back out and another wave hit me and got dragged straight back in nearly drowned again and then came back out and then a shark came and knocked my board 
And then because I had a rudder, it knocked the fin sideways. So I had to wait till I saw the shark in front of me, then get off the board, swim to the back of the board, fix my fin. And I could see him underwater and then quickly go back on the board and sit still again. And then it was just circling because I'm going against the current. I'm just watching the land that took me so long to get to mm-hmm. just going, I'm going backwards, going, holy shit. <laughs> so I'm like, I have to work this out. So I'd have to wait until the shark came in front of me and then just start paddling as hard as I could towards it mm. and wait till the fin had dropped down and I'd sit there still again <laughs> and then just kept doing that until I was went, ah, fuck it, just keep paddling, you know? And then I was just like, don't eat my hands, don't eat my hands, don't eat my hands, <laughs> don't eat my hands. Every time, you know, this was the only way I was going to get moving. But then once I'd seen like a few of them, you know, I got a little bit more conditioned to it, I guess. And, you know, there were some big ones along the way and, you know, there's a lot of other things that I was dealing with, like a lot of uh, past trauma and stuff that I was dealing with along the way and physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain was all coming forward. And it was, you know, it was tough. That was kind of the toughest part of it, you know, that just aloneness, you know, and there's only blue water, blue sky, jellyfish, dolphins, sharks, you know what I mean? Like, and they weren't really talking back to me. Because <laughs> you said, you said obviously five minutes in, you're like, holy shit, what have I put myself into? And then what was the mindset like? Was it each day you're sort of hitting those walls where you started addressing, because you're out there for so long by yourself, you started addressing those traumas or was it like you hit halfway or, or when did it all start for you? It kind of like, it kind of kept creeping on. Like, you know, you got to think I'm paddling for 13 to 15 hours every day, nonstop, just out there. It's not like I came in at all. You know, like I'd sort of have a little sit on the board every now and then for a few minutes and then kind of just keep on going. So scenarios and everything in my life were just playing through my head again and again and again. And once they've like gone through once, they start going through again, except with more detail, then again with more detail and again with more detail, you know. So then I was just like, holy shit. So I had to work out because a couple of times I was thinking, fuck, is this too much for me? Like, what's going on? And then so I had to just simplify the whole thing. I knew I was going to Bondi, but I couldn't think about, you know, getting to Bondi because it's just too far away. You know, it's like 18 days of, of paddling that I had to try and think about. So I was like, just aim for the headland, you know, just go for the headland and that's it. I knew emotional stuff was going to come forward. I knew I was going to have physical pain and everything. That was all going to happen. But just as long as like my simple, like subconscious process changed to just get to that headland, then that's all I really need to worry about. And then I was able just to allow all the, the emotional pain just to come forward and just like process it and deal with it as it started coming forward. And then just really dissect it out and have a look at it, you know, what's it actually saying to me and then what did I learn from it, you know, and everything really just changed, you know, it just made me give thanks to all of the struggles that I'd had in my life and it made me have a look at what sort of person I had been and how I contributed to different situations as well that were positive and negative also. But mainly it was just about pulling things out and just, you know, pattern recognizing what was going on, you know, to get myself into those, each of those situations, each of those bad relationships, let's say, you know, what was I doing? And then starting to recognize those patterns to go, okay, and then just start putting them in my pocket and then filtering through and going, okay, this is, these are the patterns that I do or these are the patterns that I've been living by. This is what I need to change and this is what I need to address. So I can, I was starting to understand it and accept it, you know, and I think that's the most part, like if you've gone through trauma, it's, 
it's really about accepting, you know, accepting what happened and you know that you can't change it. Here you are now, you I'm here I am just doing this paddle, you know. Doesn't matter what had happened then, it doesn't matter what sort of answers I want for different questions that I had in my past from different people, you know, it didn't matter what the answers were gonna be. It all mattered to what I was doing here and now to go forward because I can't change that and it's not gonna change who I am. Mm. It was just really about learning from all those experiences and not just blowing things off and go, oh, well, I was a chef in France, but I'm not now. It's about understanding the tools that I've learned, tools of the trade of everything that I've done in my life that is now like in my back pocket to use from this day going forward. So finishing up, once you actually got into Bondi, was it obviously the excitement of finishing such a massive challenge is awesome, but was it nice to be coming off the water with like new tools essentially to to deal with? Nah, it was was strange coming off it. Um, It was really weird because it was the first time in my life I'd ever felt proud of myself and... It wasn't just proud of the paddle, but proud of everything I've achieved and overcome in my life as well. So that was a first for me, but I knew something had changed completely. You know, after day five, my life had completely changed. It's just, it was no longer about me doing something that I was proud of, of this paddle. It was something so much bigger than me. And I could see the, the people who were coming through social media, you know, living vicariously through my challenge and how it was helping them. So I just could see that it was something so much bigger, you know, mm-hmm. that, for what I was doing it for. And then when I came into Bondi, you know, it was like the whole weight of the world lifted off my shoulders and my life had completely changed, but I didn't understand why and how. So I knew I, it was something that I wanted to be able to somehow bottle up and give to everyone, but I just didn't understand what it was. You know, I just didn't have that time to, to process it because I was forward thinking the whole time because I couldn't really think about what would what was just happening or what was I just thinking about previously because something else was going to happen. So every day of my events, it's like a week, a month, a year of an emotional roller coaster that most normal people have. Yeah. You know, there's highs and lows. People say, you know, what was the worst day of your event i say every day what's the best day every day you know it's just an emotional roller coaster because i can't think about the shark that just happened because five minutes later it's going to be another one Mm. so i couldn't pile them up you know so things had to get released but yeah i just didn't understand it you know i I knew i'd cured myself of ptsd i knew something had completely changed within me and i came in and, and even like the camera crew and that who were there they were like I must have had some look on me. They're like, oh, shit, you know, we felt like we were, like, invading a space of yours. We didn't know how to approach you, you know. I guess I was a little bit vacant, just trying to work it out. And it took me about a month. And I was just sitting at Rambo Bay at Little Marley, and that's when they had, like, their milk crates out the front back in the day. And I'd sit there and just have my um, chocolate brownie every day, just sort of watching the world go by. And I knew the world had completely changed around me whole landscape had changed and how people were were talking you know the dialogue and that i was really taking notice of and just seeing how negative it all was and you know really my first thought was just to start paddling off somewhere i just didn't want to be there and plus i didn't want to slip back into a way that i'd lived most of my life you know i wanted to stay in this pure pure way you know it's it's the most purest thing i've ever done like being in the ocean for 17 days you know like having everything wash away from me you know, it's the most uh, honest and purest thing that I've ever done in my life, you know, and, and being able to see the world completely different now, 
But again, I didn't understand it, but also didn't want to come out and just say, hey, I've just cured myself of PTSD and start going on the talk show circuit and putting out as, you know, guru content and all that sort of stuff. I really wanted to make sure it was authentic. So I knew I needed to do another big challenge that was going to test me or break me, but it's something that was going to be physically, mentally, emotionally like cha- challenging for me and put me in so much pain that to see if my past negative stuff was ever going to come up again. Mm. And so that's what I was did, did. That was my next mission just to, to do that. Do you think being in those such, like such vulnerable, sorry, vulnerable positions was what really spiked it or was it something that was day-to-day that would be in your mind anyway, but you just had the freedom to address it? Um, I mean, it's it's definitely a mixture of a lot of things, you know, like I was doing EMDR therapy out there, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, where your eyes move around and that, and they use a lot for, for therapy to get rid of trauma and that, and I was just naturally doing that, so I was just allowing the, the negative emotions just to pile out from me, but I was having new information that my eyes were picking up, you know, from the white caps and the clouds and all that sort of stuff and the fish and everything coming in you know and there's more information that's going on in front of us than we can process anyway so it's not about blocking it it's just about allowing that to come out while there's different information coming in that's Mm. that's better for us you know so it was kind of that as well and there was obviously doing something that i was proud of something that no one else had done before um you know pushing myself to to that sort of extreme and being able to go through it being able to address everything from you know my past and really having a good look at it all um, you know, the vulnerabilities aside of it, but really it was, it's, you know, there's, there's different things like there's stress and there's pressure and what it did, it just took the pressure off me. You know, I think that's what people need to, need to really look at, you know, stress is a good thing. You know, we need to put ourselves under controlled stress, but we need to alleviate the pressure, you know, that we put on ourselves, you know, and people, a lot of people get that mixed up. I think, you know, but we shouldn't have that pressure on us. We should just have that stress on us because stress helps us push forward towards something. You know, we need to be putting ourselves into that physical, mental stress to have a measurable point that we push past all the time. You know, that's how we step out of our comfort zone, go into that stressful moment, you know, but it shouldn't be over stressful. It should be still controlled. But yeah, for me, it was just about breaking down the boundaries and, and, alleviating the pressure that I put on myself, the the responsibility I put on myself from what happened to me in my past, really. Mm. And coming out of this challenge, had that sort of kicked off uh, your drive to raise awareness for like child abuse and that sort of thing as well? Or was that something that was prior, like it was previously there? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, it was, that was about the first time I was t- speaking out, you know, um, I, before I left Melbourne, I got asked by an organization who I only just started talking about and I spoke to someone they're like, oh, you need, you know, you've got this successful business. I had a cosmetics company at the time and it was successful. And they're like, can you talk? You know, you went through child abuse and stuff, but, you know, look at you now, you're successful. And I thought, oh yeah, that could be something cool. You know, I could come and have a little chat about that. Like, you know, I went through all this shit, but I'm doing pretty good now. And then that night I was like, you know, what the fuck am I going to say to these people? yeah, I went through shit and I've got a whole heap of money, but I'm still fucked up. Mm. I'm like, I don't want you to be like me. Yeah. That's like, what am I going to say? Like, be like me. I'm like, don't be like me. You should see what's going on in my head right now. It's like crazy. Yeah. 
And uh, so I was like, shit, all right, but this sounds like something that I'd like to do. So I've got to sort out my own shit myself. You know, I've got to work this out. So when I'm standing on stage and when I'm talking to people, I own my words and I'm authentic with saying, hey, it's possible you can heal from it. No point in saying, hey, you know, I can give you hope to have a good life if I can't or if I didn't have the tools or if I hadn't done it myself, you know. And I'm not one just to read books and watch YouTube clips and all that sort of stuff to find out the information. I go and do it myself. So then I know what I'm saying is 100% true, you know. Mm. So that's kind of how it all all kicked off. And then being back in the ocean, I felt like, oh, yeah, I found my peace again. This is where I need to be. And so I was just it was just about raising awareness against child abuse as a man speaking out sort of for the first time because no, no males had really spoken out at that time. So I thought I'll, I'll talk about it like on a, a male sense, speaking out and encourage people to get down to the ocean. And then I thought I'll just do the paddle and raise a bit of awareness. And then after the paddle, I would go back to my skincare label and I was designing compression wear and stuff at the, at the same time. But as I said, you know, my life had completely changed and I just couldn't go back to that. And I just needed to explore this more and understand it. I knew I'd healed myself, but I needed to work out how I was going to put some dialogue around it so other people can heal now. Mm. You said that you needed another challenge to push yourself again. What was the next thing that you got into? So I've spent a bit of time over in Thailand in Phuket over the years, like kickboxing training and stuff like that. And I just love the heat over there. And so I went went back over there and I, I set myself this challenge. I was going to paddle around Phuket Island, the whole province of it. And I was going to get off and run around. So that's about, uh, it's about 130 kilometers around each time. So it's going to be three days nonstop, me paddling, get off, start running straight away. No sleep, no nothing like that. And then, uh, so it was cool, but it was fucking hot as hell. And I'm like, oh man, like the first night, like the first day paddling, it was just crazy heat and I got sunstroke and then I was coming through like um, the port of Phuket and, like and it was night time and I was coming through there and I was like all these ships that were moored out there with all these Burmese sailors on there and they've got their guns over the side <laughs> and they're yelling at me and shit and I'm like on this stand up paddleboard at the time and I'm like you don't fucking shoot me man like uh, <laughs> but I don't know if they thought I was a pirate or whatever because I had no lights or nothing just creeping along next to these big <laughs> cargo ships you know and they're like nah, nah, yelling at me I'm like holy shit I'm like waiting for a shotgun in the back of the head or something <laughs> And luckily they didn't. And I kept on paddling and then got into into railway and I had these two guys that were coming with me to support runners. One lived there and he's like a runner and another one, uh, Christian, he's from uh, from Florida and he'd done over 170 ultra marathons before. So I thought, oh, you, you'd be a good guy to, mm. to fly over and run with me. And But same thing, it was hot. Like, you know, it was probably 40 degrees, 98 humidity. You know, and around the, like, the province, it's like a big up and down hills. And we got about... Ah, oh, 12k into it, and Christian, this is ultra running. He's like, I can't, I'm not going any further, I can't do it. Like, he hadn't climatized properly or anything, yeah. so I became his support runner. And I was like, Holy shit, you know. And I'm like, I'm in my back of my mind, I'm thinking, I've just uh, I've got to keep going, you know, I've got to get around this island because I'm going to start fading off real quick. But they just wanted to do this walk up the hills and run down, walk up, run down. I was like, Oh, I need to keep moving faster. Mm. And it was hot and we're like stealing ice along the way and putting it down our pants and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. And then then like when the night came, it cooled off a bit, but it started raining. 
and then we got blisters in our feet and all that sort of stuff and I'm like sort of hobbling along on up to about like 85k mark I guess and um, I'm just watching like my GPS watch is slowing down slowing down and here's my support runners I'm like I'm fucked like but I'm gonna make it they just took off <laughs> oh, no. like, I'm like yeah, my support runners just left me behind and I wasn't a racer or anything you know like we have this creed like you know, we start together, we finish together, no one gets left behind. They fucking left me behind. <laughs> but I understood it as well because, you know, they had, a, they had their own demons and stuff. So I thought, all right, they're in a bit of pain. So, all right, you, away you go. And then I bring in someone out, this guy, Dave, who sort of hobbled along with me. And then uh, I got to about 5Ks from the finish line where I was supposed to go. And, you know, I was watching GPS watch and it was slowing down. I was at about... 27 minute K going slow and then I just stopped and I'm on the sidewalk and I just stopped there and I just couldn't move and I was just swaying around I couldn't sit down I couldn't walk forward I couldn't do anything at all and uh, for about 20 minutes I was trying to get going and the funny thing was was my head was like just go like I couldn't understand why I couldn't just keep moving I'm like just go like just go like I was so positive on my mind but my body just wouldn't move at all mm. and uh and my mate had just had to pull up in the car like onto the sidewalk and you now i fell in the car and he took me to where the other guys were and and uh and i wasn't disappointed at all i was like happy because that's what i wanted to achieve out of it you know it was either going to break me or not and or it's going to be something absolutely incredible that i achieved and uh it broke me but nothing negative from my past come up and i was in excruciating pain like crazy out of control pain my whole body from it still sunstroke and everything and then uh, so I went home and slept for about four hours got up had some chocolate cake and had coffee and I was like able just to shuffle a little bit and I said oh Christian can you take me back to, to where I stopped and he's like you're going back then I said yeah it's still day three man it's a three-day event so you can you got to take me back and, uh, and he took me back and ended up finishing the thing and I was so slow and just hobbling along <laughs> But I ended up finishing it, you know, and again, like, people, no one on social media thought I was going to go back out and I could, could just, like, read the tears coming through on social media and, you know, it really changed, that event really changed me, but it really changed a lot of other people about, you know, keeping on going. Yeah. You know, do what yeah. you say you're going to do. That last section as well, you, I think you have a video on your Instagram. It's so gnarly. Like, anyone that's listening, go check it out because you're literally, like, on the side of the road just waddling like a penguin almost by the end of it and like yeah. yeah to come back after like so many k's as well was pretty epic but yeah yeah yeah, was, yeah. i mean it was crazy but also as well like for my fans each lead lead into the next one and you know and that was about as well you know getting my legs prepared for for my next event yeah now one one of the ones that just popped up because i was uh you trip across america on the on the skateboard so another just awesome one that i wanted to talk about um do you want to talk about oh, how that started off obviously because like your background with skating and that sort of thing but it, why it um popped up into my mind was the fact that you obviously ended up doing it solo again oh uh, yeah <laughs> i fuck i haven't seen oh and and on that one as well, I had uh, had these sponsors that were here. They were covering RVs and all that sort of stuff. We pulled out four days beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit, you know. And I was like, here we go again. So, you know, I've got a big challenge ahead of me and then it just like makes a bigger challenge. Yeah, because this so, was another doco, hey? 
yeah, yeah so there's another one so i'm like self-funding the whole thing and had like a crew and stuff with me on this one and yeah so i thought look I, there's definitely something that i've achieved here um and something happened to me in the ocean now i need time to work it out so I figured I'd simplify my life and I was just going to skate from point A to point B from Santa Monica to, um, uh, from Chicago to Santa Monica and go along Route 66. Everyone knows what Route 66 is. You know, I grew up skating as well and uh, in the muscle cars and all that sort of stuff. So I thought, why not skate that? Um, give, me, give me that time. And Route 66 was decommissioned June 27 in 1985. So I started in June 27 on I rode 1985 skateboards whole way along um yeah and it's just it's really just about working out you know what happened to me in the ocean and then just simplifying that down and, and using it along the way for all the tests and challenges that i had to keep calm keep relaxed keep focused and keep on going really but yeah i mean there was a lot going on there was more shit going on off the board than it was on the board yeah <laughs> i mean you know like we're dealing with you know i'm on a low budget and stuff and i don't talk too much about these people and that but you know, you know, it's a low budget sort of thing, you know, people aren't, sometimes their mental capacity isn't quite there, you know, or a lot of people think, you know, it's, these events are easy and then they get a few days into it and realize, hey, you know, this isn't easy, mm. you know, um, you know, a lot of things change, you know, different perceptions of people, people think it's going to be fun and, you know, ends up being their long days, you know, really long days, you know, whether you're in an RV or whether you're skateboarding along, so, you know, I had a skater with me at the start and, you know, was, him and I grew up together when we were 90, 90 years old, skating storm drains together in Adelaide and I hadn't seen him at all since then until I was about to do this and he reached out and said, hey, I live on the Gold Coast as well and we sort of had a chat and he'd gone through similar things. So I said, oh, come, come on this skate then. But yeah, I mean, it was just, it was tough, like... You know, there was a lot of uh, mental health issues that were going on with these people as well. And so and it was tough on me, you know, because I had to keep the motivation up for myself and keep the motivation up for them as well. And plus I'm paying for everything as well along the way and buying the RV and feeding everyone and making sure everyone's eating properly and doing sleep and ride and, and everything as well. So it's quite draining, but it was, um, you know, it was just another test that, that I had to do and, you know, it was about helping people along the way and going to talk, but also at the same time, you know, I thought, who am I if I can't help the closest people to me right now as well, you know? So sort of brought it back down to, you know, what can I do to, to help these people along on this journey as well? Until it kind of just got too much, really. And um, main part was just the negative side of things that started coming out. You know, I was coming up to the Mojave Desert and, you know, it was going to be hot, and that was the part that I was looking forward to the most. You know, I've never been in that sort of heat before. You know, we're talking 52, 55 degrees temperature of me skating along these roads, uh, middle of the desert with nothing around, you know, and that's what I looked forward to. I was like, this is it, you know. But, you know, they thought I was going to die, and they'd research and everything. No one had done it before, and no one even ran that before. And um, they're like, you, you're going to die or you can only skate 10 kilometers a day or else you're going to overheat and uh, we don't want to be a part of it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, we've got 40 days to go before we get there. Let's just get through today. <laughs> and then when I was about two days short of it, I was in, in Kingman and I just ended up saying, look, you just, uh, you got to go home. That's it. You know, I'm going to finish the skate myself and um, you just go back to LA, get your flights or change your flights and go back home. I'll finish it off and, 
they're like contacting my brother and sister saying, oh, he's on a death mission. He's going to try and kill himself <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. And my brother said, I said, what did you say? And he goes, oh, I just told him if he said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. <laughs> That's a good on you. And uh, so, I, yeah, I started skating, you know. So when I was with, and it became my skate then, you know, when I was skating with this other guy, I was kind of skated to his skate. We'll probably go on 60 to 80 kilometers each day covering. And then the next day, like after they'd gone, I skated 127 kilometers day after 120 kilometers. Now I got to the Mojave Desert where they said I was gonna could only skate 10 kilometers. Or I was going to overheat. It was 55. It was 55 degrees in the in night, 57 in the day. <laughs> so I was going out. across there and uh, ended up skating 250 kilometers in 24 hours non-stop. <laughs> yeah, and I only stopped in Barstow because. There was fires on the California hills. One of the Route 66 cafes had caught fire and lit up the hills. And uh, so I had to wait and got a gas mask and then skated through the fires with a gas mask <laughs> to go down into San Benito and then cruise along into Santa Monica. It's just wild. Like anyone driving along there would have been like, what is this idiot <laughs> doing? But like what there was to some degree, some preparation. Like I know your kit that you're wearing. Was that... I couldn't remember when I was writing it down and I sent it to you. Was it liquid titanium? Yeah, liquid yeah, titanium. Yeah, so how, how does that work? So it kind of works like a far infrared sauna, really. Like it helps um, promote red blood cells through you. So it's kind of like healing while you're using it. But it's also um, heat regulating. Like if you're cold, it'll boost you up a little bit. If you're hot, it brings you down a little bit. And I say that's what got me through the Mojave Desert for sure. Because I'm head to toe in the whole thing. And, you know, that's that's for sure what got me through it and uh, and a little bit of determination i guess yeah. as well but um but yeah i mean like i designed that uh for the company shark skin beforehand and you know i'd use a lot of compression gear and uh, from all over the world and i just found you know you're moving shit about and you're like them it's like they're designed by females and or they all think that we're Ken dolls or something and there's fucking nothing <laughs> across in front, you know? So I'm like, we need a pouch there. It needs to be something like for the boys to hang on to there, you know? Yeah. So I designed it like that, you know? And I just knew I was skating for a long time each day and didn't want to just be moving these things about. So I just designed them and muscle mapped them around like with the stitching and everything. So as soon as I put them on, if I was going for a 5K run, 10K run, 120-kilometer skate, you know, where I put them on in the mornings, where they're going to be at the end of the day, you know, yeah. that's all I need to do. So I just wasn't thinking about it. And anything that's niggly to start off with, as you probably know, it's like by the time you're getting along, it gets exponential, you know, until like becomes fucking annoying. Yeah. To get off <laughs> me, like whether it's shoes rubbing or whatever it is. So I just didn't want that, you know. So yeah, so I just designed those to, um, and really just put them to the test along the way on that skate did you have to pick any like certain wheels and stuff because coming through that like the road would have been oh just, terrible yeah like yeah, yeah every you know it's funny like each state the roads were completely different yeah <laughs> completely different you know some were good some were most were bad yeah some had these big joins in them and everything it's like doo-doo's, 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 <laughs> for 15 hours doo-doo's, doo-doo's, like fucking crazy you know and then in the Mojave had coyotes running down the side next to me and the, <laughs> the roads were just blistering, popping and everything up. And anytime I had to stop, like if there was an uphill, I had to wait and I couldn't pick up my board because it was just like burning hot. My wheels melting. I would try and walk along on the bottom of my vans. They're just melting away. And yeah, it was like, it was, it was crazy. But, um, and I went through like five pairs of shoes and five sets of wheels, five sets of bearings. Wow. Did you have to learn to 
push switch. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, like I usually skate Mongo and then um, I was like, someone's like, you can't skate that. I'm like, I've got a long way to learn how to push yeah. the other way. So, but yeah, I mean, it was good. There was like, I mean, there was some gnarly moments, you know, like I hit this one downhill and must have been, I don't know, it's about 20 odd kilometers or something like that. I was just like going on this downhill, hitting you know, 45, 47 kilometers an hour, which doesn't seem too fast. But I mean, when you're on like a little old school board and yeah. it's like wobbling along, <laughs> they're saying, shit, where's he going to, you know? Because I didn't, I didn't, not like I drove it before and I didn't know where these hills were going to. It was yeah. going to drop down again. And this one, it was just like kept on going and going and going and trucks come past and they're beeping at me and it's like a railing and I'm thinking, fuck, I'm going to fall off the side here. And <laughs> I'm set sliding, like, like taking up three lanes, just sliding all over the whole road and bam, bam. <laughs> debris everywhere on the on the shoulder i'm like shit and i like come to and i finally see this uphill and i was like oh thank god and it's like i felt so tired afterwards i've just been peaking for so long yeah pick up the board and i walk up as soon as i got up to the top it just started hailing like these massive golf balls <laughs> and there was no shelter at all and i could see this town and it was like i don't know 10k or something down the bottom of this hill and i was like shit so I, I thought I can't sc- like stand up, so I jumped on my butt. And I thought <laughs> I'm gonna butt ride this thing down and just drag my feet. I started going down, but because there was like like golf balls, ice golf balls all over the wood, yeah, all over the road. So I'm, my my feet weren't catching anything. That was oh, like shit. rolling across <laughs> it, and then uh, and I'm flying down. And I'm like shit, and I was like out of control, like on the shoulder, and it was so heavy. Cars started pulling over, but I couldn't see them until they were probably like. 10 meters away from me here i am flying down i remember on this one i was like shit so i quickly turned i remember just like spinning set sliding down this hill i was thinking thank fuck car wasn't coming then but i remember like it kind of went slow-mo and like and i went past and i looked at this lady and her face just was like (laughs) looking at me i'm like no like i'm spin 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 down and like controlled myself and i kept on going like kind of outrun the storm a bit got down to the bottom was like shit and just as I got down, I got up and started pushing again. And this cop pulled over and he's like, hey, what are you doing? I was like, you don't want to know me. <laughs> and he goes, you can't be on the road. And I said, mate, just, you, you got to go. And he's like, no, I've got to take you into town. I said, dude, you don't know what I've just been through in this last half an hour. I said, but this is what's going to happen. If you take me down into the town, then I've got to hitchhike back here to this spot to start going again. I said, you know, I'm skating the whole Route 66. Best thing we can do here, I know I'm wet, but just give us a little hug, mate. I gave him a hug and said, I've got to go, buddy. And I just started skating. There. Oh, I, looked, I was a couple hundred meters down the road, looked back and he's sitting there like, what the hell's going on? He just like drove past me real slow. I'm like, keeping on going. But it was good, you know, like met a lot of people along the way and uh, especially like when I went into Galloping in New Mexico and the Navajo kids, they all heard I was skating. They'd skated in with me and, went in this cafe and had a little chat with them and you know that i went and saw them again when i rode a motorcycle across there and you know their lives had, had completely changed you know from from meeting and and you know just what i was able to offer them at the time and this young couple 17 year, year olds that you know since i first saw them on the skate they'd opened up a skate shop they'd saved six hundred thousand dollars and built a skate park and everything mm. you know and these are kids who come from reservations you know, it's like alcohol, drug abuse, domestic violence. You know, it's pretty crazy there. And, you know, so for them to save that money to put it in, you know, it was, a, it was pretty 
epic to see what they've done in two years. Mm. You know, it was uh, it was cool. You just mentioned that um, tour on the bike. That was the One Breath tour, yeah? Yeah. Did you want to elaborate a bit more on that? So obviously founded One Breath Meditation. Yeah, so all my events, you know, they're just about reaching like a wider audience and how am I going to reach that, you know? The first one was about getting people to the water and connecting with uh, the water sports people and then the one around Phuket, you know, it was running. So I was getting more of the endurance people and running's more accessible for everyone. So I started to bring those sort of people into it. Then the skate across America, the youth, you know, bring them into it. And then, um, yeah, then I just wanted to do like a motorcycle ride across America. So I started in North Carolina and went up uh, to like Baltimore and then Philly and New York and Buffalo and up the top end of like Ironwood, Michigan, and then uh, back down to Chicago and then Route 66 again. But, you know, I'd never ridden a bike like a big Harley that far before. So that was new and... So that was cool, and but also I knew I was going to start conversations with uh, with different people, you know, and it was it was good, you know, like I'd pull in pull in the gas stations and bikies or truckies would come over to me and they'd hear my accent in the store and they'd be like, hey, you know, like you look like you're going somewhere, you're on a tour, you're obviously not from here, you know, what are you doing? And I'd be like, oh, I'm going around the country teaching youth and men how to meditate. <laughs> and I'm like looking at me like um, that's the last thing I thought it was going to come out of your mouth you know yeah. so I'm like oh tell me about it then you know maybe this is for me and you know and for me that's what it was all about you know just opening up those conversations with these people that would never normally talk about these sorts of things or deal with deal with it in in, um, in an open way you know and one of the, the big like uh, beneficial moments for me I would say is when I was going through Philly I had the privilege to wash 200 homeless people's feet and give them shoes give them new shoes you know and to be down lower than them when they're sitting you know and asking them questions and talking to them have them open up you know for me i just really want to understand how they got in that position in the first place and then how they're able to keep on smiling you know mm. and here's these guys that are like hobbit looking fucking feet that i'm washing but you know some are smelly in that but you know, they're only on the street. This is how they are. But they all come in with these pristine caps on. You know? <laughs> I'm like, look at, you, look at the rest of your clothes but in your shoes. You know, that's why we're giving you new shoes. You got a brand new cap. Oh, yeah, Philly proud. Like, without any money, you got to have got to have your crisp hat on. You know, like, that's cool. You know, like life's simple. Yeah. You know, so, so that's having those conversations and just understanding, you know, how they're able to keep on smiling. And, you know, a lot of them are, were there for you know, maybe one or two bad choices that they'd made or had been forced onto them, you know, like the global financial crisis happened and they lost everything and lost their families and they just, you know, got themselves in, in hardcore debt, which, uh, you know, I hope people don't get into here. Like, I hope it doesn't happen again, you know. Looks like we're going that way. But, um, <laughs> you know, so hopefully that doesn't happen. But, you know, they just can't get out of it, you know, and they're just in that position. But what I was able to do with them is make them a little bit more accountable, like, because I guess because I'm speaking in a different accent to them or whatever, they'll seem to open up to me a lot. So I was just able to really talk to them about it of, you know, what they were going to do, what their plans were for the future. And a lot of say, you know, I really want to get a house. I want to see my kids again. And I'm like, all right, how are you going to achieve that? What are you going to do? You know, just lightly sort of make them accountable, but really just allow them to see what their vision is and then just work out how they're going to get there, you know how they like work I always work backwards this is what I want 
how am I going to achieve that? All right, for that I need this and that I need this, that I need this. Okay, let's get started. Then you've got your your stages that you're going to get to along mm. the way, you know. So that's kind of what I was instilling into them and just hoping, you know, parts of it were going to resonate. But on the whole travel around, you know, I just, you know, I went to youth detention centers, you know, I had the homeless people, I fed homeless people in Harlem and LGBTQ people, um, community in Brooklyn, spoke with them, went to Sandy Hook Elementary School and spoke to the people there and, and in, uh, in that town as well, in such a small town for, you know, at that time was the worst school massacre mm. that had happened in history. Um, and then war veterans, other people in suicide, prevention groups, um, bikers against child abuse. And really, I just wanted to get information out of everyone who had gone through all sorts of different trauma in their life. And just while I was riding in between different places, just start processing it and dissecting it out and just coming up with things that were common between everyone from not knowing each other, but still having gone through different traumas and what you know the ultimate goal was and what came down to the foundation and how they were able to keep on moving forward and you know what was simple in life for them um so yeah so for me that was just that was the main part of it just really having that time just to work it all out you know and just and also i had my ways and i was already working in wellness retreats around the world and, and helping people with how i was doing things but to be able to cross um you know get cross information with different professionals as well in different areas like i went up to harvard and spoke to one of the lecturers up there for a while about it and that was a funny conversation i just ended up saying mate you're about fucking 50 years behind like you need to pick your game <laughs> up hey yeah and um so yeah really it's just about that so again you know just what i was putting out there you know i knew it was it was real. It wasn't just fairy dust I've sprinkled on myself. It was just, you know, it was authentic and undoubtable, you know, to be able to come back to Australia and start really helping others. With the homeless people, was there a pattern that you could see, like most of them being positive? Was there something that you could see in each of them that they, you could learn from them or? Yeah, I mean, it's just... There's been bumper stickers and everything about it, you know, and we're in, it's it's funny. We're I'm, I think like the the hippies back in the day, you know, they're probably like ninety or something now. They're thinking, oh, yeah, we've been talking about breath work for fucking ever, you know, or, or like hallucinogenics and stuff, you know, like they're like, yeah, what do you think the seventies was about? <laughs> now it's just like, oh, you're microdose and blah blah blah. You're like, yeah, we're doing micro yeah. and so. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was just about, you know, I've got two feet and a heartbeat i'm going to keep on going i've still got my breath i'm going to keep on going you know it's about what you can do is keep moving forward you know and that's as simple as it is you know and that's and when i was again driving like riding the motorbike across mojave desert on that time you know it's just um that's what i come to the conclusion of you know our, our foundation is for every individual person is you know connection to our breath connection to ourselves and knowing that we keep moving forward you know some people say time's irrelevant it's just made up numbers but as long as the sun's rising and sun's setting you know we're growing older and trees are getting bigger you know time's moving forward we're always moving forward we're not going back you know so if you can have that as your foundation that you can go back to you know your starting point when shit hits the fan you can go right still breathing got myself all right let's start walking let's start going again you know and that's that's as basic as life is, 
you know, for, for all of us. And that's everything comes from that. If you say to people, what's the most important thing in your life? You know, and they say, oh, I love relationships, money, Ferraris, whatever. But you're not going to get any of that if you're not breathing. Yeah. Mm. If you're not connected with yourself and you're not moving forward towards something. You know, like life continues to move forward even if we're in, we're in lockdown and people are just stuck in their house. Life's still moving forward, still moving forward, you know. As long as you understand that. Then it doesn't really matter what happens around you because you know you're progressing forward, you know. The whole world just doesn't stop. Everything keeps on going, you know. So for me, that's what I come up with. You know, and it all just comes down to the breath. And there's a lot of bullshit that I saw out there as well, you know, with the meditation, the gurus and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of crap that gets around out there, which is unfortunate for a lot of people who want to heal, you know, um, you know, see him just go from one guru to another. And then after they've seen like about 10 of them, they think, oh, it must be me because these people have amazing lives. So it must be me. I must be the problem. You know, I must not be able to fix me but in actual fact it's probably just the people that they're going to so just regurgitating they're not taking the time to find the real words that are going to help others you know they've got a different purpose if people are money driven they're money driven you know i don't care what people want to do but when you're messing around with people's lives you know it's um it's a little bit different sort of story you know your, your morals and intentions have got to come into it some at some time and if they're not now they probably will pop up a little bit later on in your conscious mm. it will catch up with you somewhere i think something that resonated from when i first met you and we did the walk was um just your i guess your idea behind how people shouldn't have to go back multiple times to like a guru or like a psychologist or whatever and i think it was kind of cool to see someone trying to um allow people to get the skills and the tools to fix themselves like that seemed like it was pretty important to you yeah oh definitely i mean that's that's the most part i mean i say to people if, if you've been on like a therapist or a guru more than five times they're shit they don't know what they're talking about you know it, it doesn't take that long at all you know it's um but I, I look at it in a little bit different way because i've looked at the whole aspect of it all and I've, I've always been like that you know i've always had like a I guess a Bruce Lee theory of it, you know, it's not one style, but it's about understanding all of the styles to be able to dissect them out and grab the good bits to mold into one thing that works, you know? So that's kind of what I've always been like, you know, where I was training and then now as well, you know, like I don't just put things aside. Oh, you shouldn't be vegan or you shouldn't ice baths or this or that you know without having an experienced opinion on them myself by trying them and not just once but many multiple times but also like cross-referencing with other people who are doing it and listening i mean listening is the best thing that people should be doing more you know listening to to other people of what their their experience has been and then you know, just recognizing the different patterns as well, you know, and that's something that I've always been good at is pattern recognition and inductive thinking, you know, like whole time, you know, even when I was a kid at school, you know, looking at maths problems, they always think I was cheating, but I could just see what the answer was because I could see the patterns and everything has patterns, you know, we work by patterns. So for me, it's just about understanding those and, you know, listening to people's results you know, and people have come out of different, say, meditations and they're like, oh my God, that was amazing. Um, 
enlightened by it. I feel like I've, I've reached Buddha. Like, yeah, like do it for 12 minutes. Like monks do it for 30 years all day to get there, you know? Yeah. You didn't do it in 12 minutes. But, uh, you know, so they're kind of selling them like a, uh, I guess a little bit of a false hope, you know? But if you listen to a lot of people, it's, if one thing was to do it, then they'd be cured. They wouldn't mm. be need to go back to another thing. So for me, it's always just been about giving them the tools. Um, you know, you don't take advice or anything. I don't give people advice. I just give them tools and whatever they want to do with it, they do with it, you know. But usually I just, you know, a lot. like I said, a lot of people live through my challenge vicariously and, you know, I just lead by example and show what is possible and and that's it. You know, and uh, and I prove it again and again. Not that I need to prove anything to anyone, but you know, I make it that what I'm saying and what I'm doing is is undoubtable. You know, because I'm doing it. You know, I'm mm. doing what no one's ever done before and what everyone thinks is impossible to do. But I seem to be able to do it pretty easy, whatever it is. One of which, most recent one. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So the most recent one, I, yeah, I went up in the hot air balloon. Um, yeah, I mean that that was. I mean, that was pretty sort of gnarly. Like, I was, I was watching a little clip out of it the other day and I was thinking, holy fuck, and I messaged my mate and I said, hey, you're going up in a balloon. So, yeah, I mean, I did a balloon jump in uh, in Memphis and I went up on top of a balloon and, and jumped off at 7,500 feet and skydived back down on the ground. But then uh, I wanted to do something back here in Australia and, you know, the past eight years, I look at it as kind of like a, been a warm-up for me and, and finding answers and a system to be able to share with other people. So a lot of my life has been um, 15% for me, what I get out of it, and 85% what I can share with other people, basically how I can help other people. Now I'm back in Australia, it's like 70% for me now, 30% is for other people. You know, I've got the tools, I've worked out, I've got the answers that I wanted to know in traveling around in eight years and doing all my events and now it's time for me to have fun and, and really put things to the test for myself as well so yeah a few months ago i went up uh, in a hot air balloon again like in the basket this time to ten thousand feet and i made this rope ladder that went from the basket to the top of the balloon and stepped out of the basket with no parachute and uh yeah climbed up this little rope ladder Ten thousand. Which, which you assembled? You assembled it at home, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know they don't make forty-two meter rope ladders, <laughs> so I just had to like build this thing in my lounge room. And go, oh, and I'm not an engineer or anything. I'm like, oh, I think that'll work. You know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I just started doing the climbing. You know, so it was like thirty percent less oxygen. It was minus one degrees. We were moving at twenty-five kilometers an hour, sideways and upwards at the time. And um, yeah, stepped out and started climbing. And yeah, just did this climb. But beforehand. It was funny, like, you know, I started breathing. I was like, oh, you know, air's getting thin. I'm breathing pretty heavy. And then then I just, yeah, dropped into, like, the technique that I do, the one breath meditation technique that I do. And then, um, yeah, as soon as I stepped out, took my breath out, grabbed that rope, and then just started climbing. Everything was just calm for me, you know. It was just such a, yeah, I guess surreal sort of moment. It was just simplified moment. You know, there was no stress, there was no pressure, there was nothing like that. It was just climb out and just one rung after another and I just had to get to the top and I didn't rush the thing at all, but I ended up doing faster than I did on the test climb. And How long did it take to six, climb up? Six minutes. Mm -hmm. So I did a test climb like just on the ground a few
few weeks beforehand and it took me seven and a half minutes. I had four stops, four big stops on it. But on this one, I didn't really stop and it was just, I just cruised. And so I took a minute and a half off it and that's with less oxygen and everything as well, just cruising up and, you know, and I got to that, the equator of the balloon and saw for a couple of seconds, not really to celebrate because I knew I had a bit, bit more to go, but I just knew I'd been through the toughest part because most of it was just like an overhang really. So I had, you know, 21 meters of hanging sort of upside down really and just hanging on for dear life to, to climb up and then, yeah, got up to the top and celebrated a little bit when I was up on top and sat there for a bit and just enjoyed the moment and then put my parachute on that was strapped to the top and ran and jumped off again. <laughs> There's a few little things I remember you mentioning, like once you're up there, you're like, you kind of didn't account for the fact you're like, holy shit, it's hot up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we've been like, I'd been up on top of the hot air balloon before, but it was kind of, must have been a little bit quicker or something like that. But yeah, like we, it took a bit of time and obviously more heat trying to get, because most hot air balloons, like when you go on a joy flight, they only go to like 500 to 1,000 foot up. You know, mm-hmm. we're 10,000 feet up. And um, the guys in the basket, I don't think it even been that high on <laughs> before either. So I kind of like that too, you know, like yeah. oh, it's a first for everyone. But yeah, I got up to the top and like, you know, the, the, like the acid started coming in. I just wanted some, some good oxygen and breathe properly and everything. And, you know, it was like all I wanted to do was just take in a nice bit of air. But because I was up on top of my weight, so it's sinking the balloon, top of the balloon. So the balloon pilot's pumping it up. So instead of getting this nice, fresh, cool air, stop i've got this like thousand degree heat of like propane gas just pouring <laughs> into my mouth and i'm like ugh, ugh, dry reaching up there and they thought i was going to throw up on them but i was just making noises but it was uh yeah i mean it was, that was the last thing i wanted just all that hot propane gas coming into me and then yeah when i put the chute on and started climbing out i had to wait for the helicopter to come around and the, and the top of the balloon was burning hot like so hot and i'm just like going across it and it's burning my legs so I was crawling across and I thought I was just going to run down on the divot of the balloon, like where the rope was, like I did last time. But because there was like less air in it and it was a bit, because it was a bigger balloon, I, when I started moving, I started sliding underneath the rope. So I was in between the, the rope and the balloon. I thought, shit, I'm going to get caught in this. So I had to quickly shuffle across. And then as soon as I hit like the, the bulge of the balloon, I just started like sliding like I was on like like a wet and wild slide like, yeah. so fast, but it was like so hot as well. And I remember thinking, this is like going down like one of those metal slides when I was a kid in summer. And like, oh, it's burning me and I'm laughing as well. And I could feel like my hand was actually melting and I'm sliding down on it out of control and it's got spat off the end. And I'm like, like a cat flipping around like when I come off it. And it was pretty funny. I went past the basket and gave him a bit of a hoot. And then, uh, yeah, looked around because I didn't, I couldn't see the, obviously I can't see the ground, you know, so I didn't know where I was going to land before jumping. So I was like, have a little fly around and then, yeah, just go, oh, shit, I've got to land somewhere. And luckily it was like big open fields and yeah, I had a good landing and yeah, came in. It was pretty cool. Yeah, we got a mate actually. Oh, um, mm. uh, yeah, Dill, he's doing his dive license at the moment. And like I, every time I hear someone talk about it, like I've been once before, I'm like, it just looks like so much fun. But yeah, do you want to play devil's advocate and try to talk me into doing my license? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's... It's, uh, it's an amazing thing, you know, like where, 
you know, we walk around on the ground so much and um, what I was saying is my mate's just gone through his license mm-hmm. and um, what it is, it's just, it's just that freedom, you know, and that's, that's the best way I can describe it. You know, you, you you're free, you know, you're free falling, but you, you're free, you know, it's just, you just going through the air, <laughs> you know, it's, some it's yeah it's amazing like the first time i jumped the first time i jumped was fucking horrendous but i was in um because i had to learn how to skydive before because i picked my event in memphis i went all right um someone said you know if you could do anything you know what would be an event that you want to do and i said i was like oh shit i remember being a kid going up in a hot air balloon thinking fuck that'd be cool to be on top of the hot air balloon i just went oh yeah i'm just gonna be on top i'd like to go on top of the hot air balloon and then i was like Oh, and I'll jump off. <laughs> and they're like, really? So you want to go up on top of the hot air balloon and you jump off? Uh, have you ever skydived before? Nah. <laughs> I'm like, all right. I said, oh, I better go learn a skydive. Yeah. So that's what I did. Went to Arizona and, and learned skydive. So I picked the event before I could even really do it. But that's like, I worked backwards on things. And then, yeah, that first like jump, like we went up and you're supposed to do like a tandem jump beforehand. So you get used to like, you know, being up in the plane and jumping out and the air and all that sort of stuff. And, I said, oh yeah, yeah, oh, I'd done tendon. And they're like, like, ha- like how recently? Oh, I don't know. I travel around. I don't know. I don't know. And they're like, is it in the last eighteen months? Yeah, it's probably is. Yeah, yeah, it probably is. And it was like eighteen years ago. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to experience the whole thing all at once, you know, yeah. like get that rush and really understand it, process it, like from the start, you know. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. And shit, man, got up there and like, what? couldn't breathe properly and i'm sweating and i'm like in this like panic state of my body and i'm like fucking hell I don't, i'm not i don't panic what's going on here and um the air and everything the doors open like, <laughs> people are flinging away i'm like holy shit what's going fuck what am i doing here <laughs> and these two guys like they're grabbing each side of me hey you ready yeah yeah go and then we get out and we're having like this big jujitsu James Bond fight in the air <laughs> and like one of them's just flung away and this other little one he's just hanging on to me for dear life and I'm like flipping around. I remember I got to this position. I ended up on my back and I'm back flying, like flying down through the air. And I was just like, yeah, probably shouldn't be in this position. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was able to just go, Ugh, and then calmed everything down and turned over and pulled my chute and had a landing. And then um, I was they're like, yeah, you probably need to do that, that, that level again. Eh? I was yeah. like, you reckon? <laughs> and then I went up again and I was like, shit, you know, and I was still feeling it and I'm sweating and I'm shallow breathing. And I was thinking, I can't understand why I'm panicking, eh? What's going on here? Like, this should be fun for me. And then out again, I had a lot better jump. And then I was on the ground, about to go up again. And I was like, ah, you idiot. It's low altitude. It's a high altitude. That's what's happening. Lack of oxygen. (laughs) You're not panicking. That's what it is. But it was just funny that, you know, my, my mind, you know, the subconscious had taken it back to a time I must have been in a panic state that related it to it, you know, mm. how my body was acting to it. You know, I was like, oh shit, that's interesting. You know, like for some Yeah, when, when have I felt like this before sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. just my subconscious would take me there. Yeah. You know, and um, I was like, you know, it's interesting because like I obviously breath's a big part of my life and everything, but it, it, I hadn't put myself in that position to see it on that sort of sense before, you know, and then now I just really started to understand you know, the, how the subconscious works and the autonomic nervous system, how that works. And, 
you know, put ourselves in a situation now and, and it draws back to, you know, something relatable that's happened in our life, some other scenario that's happened and um, that we've been, you know, heightened stimulation and different senses of mm. our body and everything and the emotions that we've gone through that we bring forward now to what we're dealing with now, you know, relates back to that. So, so I really started to think about that and process that and, and we're seeing how that works like with the one breath meditation and everything. And, you know, the, when I designed one breath meditation, it was kind of like intuitively done. Like I said, like, I'm, you know, like, uh, I, I see every, like everyone's got a program and everything as well. And, and I recognize that and to be able to dissect things out to, to construct this, um, these levels that we need to go through for one breath meditation. But, you know, it's just understanding the importance of it more of like a breath connection reprocessing, really, just rewiring how we are and how we act and react. And, you know, like I was talking before, you know, like we have stress, but it's about taking the pressure off and dropping down those boundaries that we have. You know, we're not pushing the boundaries out because those boundaries come back in on us. It's really about just breaking those boundaries down. But every time we break those boundaries down, we relieve like a little bit of pressure from ourselves. So ultimately that's what it's about. It's about just uh, rewiring our brain. So the breath connection that we have isn't related to something that was negative in our past, but something that's positive. Mm. So for me, I see it as like two amazing breaths that we have that we should connect to and we should all remember is the breath just before we decide we're going to do something, take something on, whether it's start a new business, start training for a marathon, whatever it is. And then it's the breath just before we have a vocal celebration. You know, like you're struggling on a marathon and you think, I can't make it, I can't make it. And then all of a sudden you see the finish line and you're like, yes, I've got this. And then the hand goes up. It's that for me, it's that breath just beforehand, you know, or just when you've like, whatever you've done and you know you succeeded in it, you know, just before and that's internalized for yourself. For me, that's what one breath meditation is. So when I take that one breath in, I'm able to step back, remember all those magical moments in my life and go, I've got this and reconnect and start moving forward. You know, that's what it's, that's what it's about for me. Just taking that pressure off everything. Mm. You mentioned a few times before simplicity and I was wondering like with all these challenges and stuff, is it obviously as hard as they can be, is there some point in it where it's like you only have that one task? Like I know for myself in the in the short experience, and this is probably a quick thanks to you as well, we had the chat about the half marathon and the marathon while we were doing the walk and I remember you said, you're like, oh, have you done the half? And I was like, yeah. And you're like, oh, sure, you got to do the full one. And I was like, I have no comeback to that. I was like, yeah, but doing doing a challenge like that for me it was like everything kind of was was washed away other than the fact that you just got to keep putting one foot in front of that and just running like everything was gone except for that and it was really nice it was like the whole like world sort of narrowed in and it was just that and that was that was nice but like with these challenges you do do you get a similar feeling with those or is it like a lot of moving parts there's a lot of moving parts leading up to them but um even as soon as I decide I'm going to do something, so as soon as I vocalize it, then I know I'm going to do it. And then I have zero doubt that I'm going to do it. And then even like the balloon one, you know, 
it's not like before I stepped out, I couldn't train anymore. I couldn't think any more about it. I knew I was going to do it. So all I was going to do is just go and do it. All I got to do is climb to the top of a fucking balloon. Like, and in my head, I think, well, if I can paddle for 17 days, I can climb 42 meters on the ladder. Yeah. Like, simple, you know what I mean? So I don't have, I don't have self-doubt in anything. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I have, those boundaries are being broken down. Like, I used to always say, you know, it's limitless and pushing the boundaries. But then when I, like, I'm a very logical thinker, really. And I think pushing the boundaries, that means they're still there. So I just want to get rid of them. Get rid of those boundaries because we've got layers upon layers upon layers upon layers that have come onto us all of our lives, you know, like um, self-doubt and boundaries that we've put on ourselves, but also what our parents, our peers, our teachers, everyone else has put on us, you know. Don't do that. We're going to fall over. You don't do that. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. You know, they make up all these different scenarios that usually don't happen anyway. So I just figure I'll just go and do it. Whatever happens, happens. And then also like for that one, on the balloon one, that was... Like most people know, I do like what they, people think they're crazy. I just think it's normal. I don't know why everyone's not climbing up the side of a balloon. You know, that's why I think anyway. And, uh, but I had the most amount of people calling me on that one and saying, look, can you please just either wear a parachute on the climb or just not do the climb? Like even the production company was just like, we need to talk to you. And can you please talk us through this? Like, please just wear a parachute on the climb. I'm like, why won't you wear one? I'm like, well, that's kind of cheating because then I'm not got a safety blanket just so <laughs> I'll probably fall off. Then, yeah, you know? yeah. It's there, but if I don't have it, I've got to make it. Yeah. And they're like, well, and everyone's like, what happens if you like fall off? What happens if you let go? I'm like, oh, I'll probably fucking die. <laughs> but how about when I get to the top, how epic is that going to be? Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. the way I'll look at it, you know? How cool is that going to be? This is what I want to do. And I... You know, I put in the work. So long as you put in the work and you know you've put in the work, then you can't have any doubts. You know, you only really doubt yourself if you know that you've cheated yourself and you haven't put in that work. Mm. You know what I mean? And I don't have like words like try, fail, impossible. I just don't have them in my vocabulary at all, really, at all anymore. You know, because there's no such thing as failure. It's just learning you know, and I don't try, I just do it, you know, so people go, oh, I'll try it, well, I'm like, you don't have to go and fucking do it then, just do it, Yeah. it's as simple as that, and if, you're like, well, what if I don't make it, so what, you just learn how, that it's not for you, or you go, all right, well, I've got to change a few things, and I'll do it again, mm. that's kind of how simple it is, and then if you look at things that way, then everything comes easy, because if the worst case scenario is you're going to learn from something, then it's not too bad, pretty good learning from something you know rather than again it's taking that pressure off oh fuck what if i fail you know that's such a heavy pressure on you but if you don't have that pressure on you of failing that oh the worst thing is i'm gonna learn that's cool i like learning shit yeah cool oh let's just go for it then you know people build up these different scenarios what if this happens what if that happens like that's probably not even going to happen and we've all done it you know we're all victims to that where we say we say to ourselves, oh, it's going to be so hard. It's impossible. I'm never going to make it. I'm going to look like an idiot and I'm going to have to stop halfway. And then you succeed in, let's say, talk about a marathon, you succeed and you go, oh, fuck, that wasn't too bad after all, you know? You know, maybe like straight up, you think, I'm never doing that again. But the next day, you'll go, oh, I'll probably do another one. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just uh, just taking that, that away, you know, not just 
putting these false things in front of you. And again, you know, our subconscious brings that forward and our breath brings that forward. You know, we go into that shallow breathing like we were talking about earlier, you know, and people live in that sympathetic nervous system state, that fight and flight mode, but that's where they live. You know, they're always on edge. They don't even realize it and they're just looking at everything. And, you know, it's even just, you can do simple things like just, even when people say, oh, have a safe flight. And you think, what the fuck do you know that I don't? <laughs> What's going to happen to the plane? Yeah. <laughs> you know, people out with like sticky tape trying to fix it up before we took off. Instead of just going, have a good flight. You know, it's two completely different things, yeah. you know. But then, and I saw that on my balloon event as well, you know, and a few interviews, people were like, how, um, you know, how's that affect you? When people are saying, oh, what happens if you fall? And I'm like, it doesn't affect me because I know I'm going to make it. But I feel for them because they're putting more weight on themselves. Mm. On that, That's such a negative pressure that they're putting on themselves. Yeah. So it goes to show how they live their life as well, you know, in such a negative sense that I don't have that. You know, it's not like my life's perfect. You know, I live high, like I put high standards on my life of what I want to achieve but, you know, and there's major highs and lows, but the major highs and lows are of today and I'll deal with them today and then I'll get through it, you know. They're not brought up from the past. You know, I don't bring up negative um, situations or I don't look at things that I had failed at, let's say, in my past that come that make me think, oh, shit, what if I fail now? Because that's what people are doing. It's not what they've... They're not thinking about, will they fail in this situation? Their mind takes them back to all the other times that they've thought that they'd failed in their life. Mm. You know, so that's what I'm saying. If you just will always have pressure on live on like stress, like I live in high stressed moments in my life, but they're not stressful for me, you know? Mm. So but again I just have that alleviate that pressure out of it. Mm. Um moving away from challenges a little bit and probably into an achievement, uh, two thousand eighteen Commonwealth Games, you're the main baton bearer. How was that feeling, considering not many people probably get to experience that ever? Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. Like, that whole Commonwealth Games thing, it was incredible. Um, so, I, like, that the previous year, you know, I'd run the Gold Coast Marathon carrying the mattress. The mattress, <laughs> man. <laughs> and uh, and then I, I was asked, like, by a journalist afterwards, and he's like, so what's next? What are you going to do? And I was like, well, Commonwealth Games is in my hometown next year I want to train for an event and uh, I'm going to train for 5,000 metres and he's like alright and then so he put that out because it went out in the paper I had like all these coaches and former like runners and all that like contacting me I had death threats I had all these people like how dare you say you can do that in 8 months Really? we train all <laughs> our lives and we didn't get there and you just think you're going to run it and get that time like a 13.35 in, in 8 months time and I'm like thinking now, I'm not just getting off the lounge like yeah. I've been doing shit. Yeah. And um, because what is that two two forty five something like that? Yeah, two forty five pace. Yeah. Moving. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, and then we I'd just gone into like the hotel the retreat down in Casuarina, and uh, I was still training training pretty hard, and on December thirteen, two thousand seventeen, I ran um, thirteen thirty five. It's like for it so i made qualifying time for the commonwealth games in so it took me four months to do it 
And, uh, and everyone sort of shut up. <laughs> but uh, then I had to make a decision because the guy who had the retreat, he uh, who owned the hotel, he was going in. Uh, he had financial difficulty in different areas, so he's like, "Fuck, I need help with this, or else I'm going to go bankrupt." So I had to make a decision. Like, all right, do I keep pushing? And I knew I could get faster in the next four months. I'm like, you know, do I risk not? you know, representing my country in my hometown, you know, which would be absolutely incredible, or do I help you? I picked helping him, you know, I thought, well, what was my goal? My goal was to get qualifying time. So I reached my goal of qualifying time. So for me, I reached my goal, you know, that's that's what the main goal was, to get qualifying time. So that was cool. And then, but then it was just like, and then once I've made that decision and everything, and then, yeah, I got contacted by Commonwealth Games people, and they're like, oh, can you come and see us in the, in the office, head office, and right I got up there and I didn't really know what it was for. And they're like, and all these people are sitting around this table and they're like, yeah, so when you, you're going to have you, when you're going to run down the beach and then you're going to come through the crowd and everyone's going to roar and everything. And then we'll have this voiceover go on and then you run out front and you do all this. And I'm sitting there thinking, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> I don't know. And I said, look, excuse me, like, how did you even find me? How do you even know who the hell I am? And then I started laughing. I was like, no, I'm serious. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And uh, they're like, oh, serious. Oh, and they'd found me some, some way. And I was like, fuck, that's, oh man, that was pretty cool. Like, I don't do what I do for accolades or for awards or anything like that, you know. But for that to be recognized, you know, for what I'd done over, you know, that period of time leading up to then, you know, to be recognized on a global scale was you know, a bit of a highlight of, of my life for sure, you know, and then even just coming running into surfers and all those people yelling and screaming and everything, I was just like, wow, what's going on here, you know? Um, but yeah, you know, and I went out to, you know, what, 1.8 billion people or something like that. But it was, um, yeah, definitely like a major highlight of my life and my career, you know, just to be recognised in that sort of sense, you know, to be, um, to have that on the, such a global scale of, of, you know, child abuse and work that I put in, but also just like highlighting, you know, the cause as well. It's pretty amazing. Mm. It's awesome. Yeah, mm. it's pretty It's pretty unreal. It's not like you said, Corey, like not many people can say they've done something like that. So we, um, we are coming up on an hour and a half. So we'll hit you with two last questions that we usually give all our guests. One of them that I'll probably adapt a little bit because you've said that failure is out of your vocabulary. So <laughs> we usually ask, um, do you have a favorite failure that uh, has benefited you in the long run? But Or it could be anything that you've just learned from that you originally hadn't planned that was the way it was going to go. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing is it would be uh, what I've learned. The biggest thing is what I've learned, I would say, it sort of ties into that. And it's just... Um, trust yourself you know you've probably already got the tools within you to accomplish anything um, don't listen to the bullshit out there and um, yeah just really just trust yourself nice um, second one is if you had a billboard that everyone could see what would it say it would probably say something like uh, don't believe them it's not hard it's all easy oh, I get nice simple <laughs> it's probably one of the quicker answers a lot of people even after sending notes off we often get oh <laughs> it's good yeah that's probably it yeah no well, we appreciate you coming down really keen to see what you get up to next and um yeah we'll have to yeah, get another challenge in soon yeah yeah for sure let's do one
Sounds, Sounds good. good. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate.